Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales. I'm so thrilled to have you back, or welcome if you're a new listener. I really hope you enjoy it. As usual, we have the same format. First we have a story, and then some discussion about the story and the folklore that's in it. And then we look at the food that's in the story, the folklore of that food, and then we move on to our recipe. I hope you enjoy it. Today's story is the old woman who lived in a vinegar bottle. My version's been adapted from several different variants and I really hope you enjoy it. I'll talk more about where these adaptions are from after the story. So, gentle listener, are you listening comfortably? Then I'll begin. Once upon a time, and far away, well, maybe not that far away and maybe not that long ago, there was an old woman who lived in a vinegar bottle. We say vinegar bottle. It was probably like an old oast house of the kind to be used for drying hops. Maybe half kiln and then half a tower, but maybe it was built too small and it lost its wind vane, or it never had one, and someone had painted its walls stone grey and given its pointed roof a thatch instead of tile. The local villagers called it the vinegar bottle. Well, because that's what vinegar used to be made in. Used to be installed in them as well, big thick stone bottles with a glazed yellow neck. There was a round room downstairs in the vinegar bottle, and a round room up, which was a little smaller, but did have a pointed roof. The windows were small, and the front door was narrow, and it was the only door. There was a corkscrew iron staircase that came up in the middle of the bedroom floor from the sitting room below. The vinegar bottle, well, it was not exactly made for comfort. It was draughty in the cold. But the old woman didn't mind. She made it as cosy as she could. There's no place like home, she said. In the sitting room downstairs, she had a table and a chair and a dresser. Sat out with all her little bits of china she collected. She'd even made her own rag rug to go in front of the fire. And there it was by her big, high-backed wooden rocking chair. You know the kind. Upstairs for her bed, she'd even made a patchwork quilt from all the pieces of all the dresses I've had and all the pieces of the dresses my mother kept for me. She even had a wooden box, just turned out with a perfect size for her candlestick. And the walls even had useful pegs on which to hang her clothes outside. On the bottle wall, a tin bath hung from a nail. The old woman had a bath every Saturday night. There was a pail for carrying the water, A dustpan, a broom, a little black kettle that used to sing to itself on the hob all day long. What more can anyone want? said the old woman. The vinegar bottle stood by itself on the edge of the village, with a path that led directly down to the shore. The woman had even edged the path with shells. Though she was poor, she was most particular, and she kept that vinegar bottle tidy and spotlessly clean. The doorstep was always whitened, the windows shone, even though they were small, and there was always just a little bit of smoke coming up from the chimney. I like a good fire, said the woman. She spent a lot of her time picking up sticks and driftwood from the shore, or cutting turves. She couldn't really afford to buy firewood, and there was no one to help her, because she lived all alone. All alone, not a bit of it, haven't I got Morris, said the old woman. Morris was her cat. The old woman, well, she didn't really have very much to eat. 
Every Monday she went to the village. She bought a paper screw of tea, three ounces of sugar and a pound bag of flour. When she got home, she baked two loaves. They last a week, she said. And when the butcher's cart came round, pulled by its pony, she bought, well, I think we're going to call them pieces and trimmings and not leftover meat and things other people didn't want, which is really what they were. However, other people didn't include cats and she cooked them for mice. But she did keep the dripping to spread on her own toast. Toast is tasty with dripping. On Tuesdays and Fridays, she walked to the farm and had her little jug filled with milk. I mean, most of that went to Morris as well, but now and again, the farmer's wife was kind. And she used to give her a couple of eggs when they didn't need them. And the farmer used to let her pick up the potatoes, the ones that were left in the field. The old woman called them taters. In the autumn, she picked blackberries because there were so many. And she made jars after jar of blackberry jam with the sugar she saved. And often she found windfall apples in the grass. A little more would be good, said the old woman. But taking all in all, it's enough for the likes of me. Morris was twice as fat as the old woman. One Saturday morning in early summer, the old woman was hungry. Whether she'd cut the slices thicker or the loaf was smaller, or both those things, she just didn't know. But there were only two pieces left to last till Monday. She had nothing left of the blackberry jam, and there were no apples. They were long since gone, as it wasn't the season for them. I've got to keep that milk for Morris, except a drop for my tea. So there's just a handful of taters, one for dinner, one for supper. You, you might do better the worse than that, she said. But she didn't have butter, which would have made the potato so much better. But she told herself that enough was enough and went about her work as cheerfully as she could. When the village clock struck noon, she made up the fire. She swept the hearth with a wing she kept for that purpose and put on a clean apron and then had to sit down quite sharply in her rocking chair because she was just a little weak. The rocking chair was hard, but it rested her old bones. It once had had a big thick cushion, but Morris found that cushion comfortable and it was now on the other side of the hearth with Morris curled up on it with his paws tucked in and his eyes shut. As it was such a fine morning, the old woman had left the door ajar so as she sat she could look across the sea out to sea. She watched and watched the boats. It was very peaceful by the fire. Rock, rock. And she stopped rocking. Dust, dust, my clean floor. Morris, well, as cats often do, just opened the one eye to make sure nothing was happening that he wasn't keen on, but he didn't move. The sun shining on the clean stone flags she had a sprinkling of dust where wind had blown from the path. And it was only a sprinkling, but the old woman grabbed the broom and began to sweep, 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 sweeping every speck towards the door. She saw a fishing boat coming into land. The old woman stopped again, looked at that fishing boat. She wondered if maybe they might just have a little fish, one they couldn't really sell, that they might let her have. She knew it was their livelihoods too, but sometimes people did have something to spare. I know what I'll do, I'll go and ask them, she told Morris. I'll ask them if they could give me a little bit of fish for my dinner, and I'll make them something next week, and then I'll have fish. Fish and a tater. It's been years since I had fish. What a feast. 
As soon as he heard the word fish, Morris jumped up. He hadn't tasted fish for a long time either, and decided to accompany the old woman down to the shore. I'm sorry, said the fisherman. Well, both of them said it, even though they were carrying great big buckets of fish. They both said that fish was very, very scarce while sort of trying to hold the buckets behind them. And it's very, very expensive because it's very, very scarce. There's a time when I'd happily have given you a little fish to go with your tater. Even Morris tried to get up on his hind legs to look in the buckets. They did feel sorry for her, but they said they had their own families to feed, and so she went. She was sad, because she'd asked, and when the fishermen walked away, they were sad because she'd asked and they'd had to say no. She was left alone on the lake shore. She felt old and silly and hungry, and she turned to go back to her vinegar bottle. When she heard a noise behind her, she turned around and gasped. Her knees nearly gave way, and for a moment the shore seemed to turn round and round, but she wasn't mistaken. There was a woman, a woman dressed in green, beautiful silk green clothes, like somebody from the city, somebody much more important. Um, madam, um, ma'am, madam? Old woman, you're a dear, kind old woman, as unselfish as you are kind, said the lady. Um, thank you, ma'am, 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 highness, said the woman. I rule this area. Sorry, sorry, I just didn't recognise you. We never see the people that own this land. Lordy. No. Queen, said the woman, dressed in green. And now she thought she could see a band of gold around her head. Or maybe she was dazzled by the light. Well, no matter what. The Queen said, well, I've seen you. I've seen you look after that cat. You don't do anything for yourself. And those fishermen wouldn't help you, which is something they'll regret when those buckets come back empty day after day. And the lady said, Lady in Green said, I'll do what I'll do for you. You only have to come to the shore. And call, my queen, my queen in green, and I'll come. The old woman made a deep curtsy, and the woman disappeared. Back in the vinegar bottle, the old woman had to sit down plump into her chair. Her knees really had given way, and she felt all of a shiver and a shake. A queen in green. She knew stories of queens and green, and they were not of this place. Although, in a different way, they were very much of this place. I must have been dreaming it couldn't be, she said. She realised it was. But then she said it couldn't be, it couldn't be, and then her glance fell on Morris's empty cushion. She stopped rocking and sat quite still. Of all the silly old bodies, she said, daft. I was that flabbergasted. I suppose she stood up and looked towards the shore. Come on, you silly old goose, the woman told herself. Next minute, she was standing on the shore, calling, my queen, my queen, my queen in green. Please come. Her voice was shaking so much, but suddenly the woman was there. Um, um, excuse me for bothering you. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've got many, many other things, but you did say anything to help. Well, you see, there's one thing I very much need. She was twisting her apron into a knot with her hands. You see, there's just two quests left, and hardly any taters, and I must keep the milk and the meat for Morris. That's my cat. Um, madam, um, Queen, Your Highness, um, do you think you could give us, Morris and me, 
a good hot dinner? Go home and you'll find one, said the Queen. The Fairy Queen, as the old woman realised when she got home, and her sight met her eyes. What a smell! Morris had smelled it too, and he'd come running. Her table, her table in her little vinegar bottle, was covered with a damask cloth, set with plates, silver and glass. She got closer to look, wondering if it was going to be fairy food. But no, there was a covered bowl of rich soup, a plate of hot roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, roast taters, greens and gravy, she whispered. There was just a gooseberry crumble for one, well, maybe one a little one, with thick fresh cream, two bread rolls keeping warm in a napkin, a pack of butter, a wedge of blue cheese and a small brown jug of cider. And on the floor, by Morris's cushion, was a bowl of meat, a big saucer of milk and a toy mouse. Lordy, 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 said the old lady, glory be. Morris was already gobbling, but before she touched a morsel, the old woman felt she had to go back and stand on the shore and say thank you to the fairy queen. She did not call queen, queen, queen in green, but your very highness, thank you kindly, and curtsied again. Never in all their lives had she and Morris tasted such a dinner, and the woman didn't even have to wash up after. Then they'd eaten, they felt too comfortable to move, and fell asleep, one on each side of the fire. When they woke up, the table was cleared, and there was a note in rippling writing. Another one tomorrow. A storm blew up on the lake that night. The vinegar bottle was sturdy, and the old woman had slept through a hundred such storms. But that night she stayed awake, listening to the wind and the rain. Perhaps it was because she had such a big dinner, and she wasn't used to it. She started to fancy that the roof will flow off. The wind will lift the thatch, and the wind will buff up the walls, which will blow us right over. Morris, however, was sensible. He was not worried. He was sound asleep under the patchwork quilt at the foot of the bed, but the old woman lay and quaked. Suddenly she sat up. Lordy, she said. I didn't know nothing about it before. She would have gone down to the lake as soon as it was daylight, but she thought it was polite, polite to wait until the fairy had finished her breakfast. If fairies even have breakfast. But it was still early when she stood on the shore and called my queen, my fairy queen in green, and the woman appeared. If you please said the old woman you said anything um i'm a bit tired of living in a vinegar bottle it's drafty and i'm getting elderly would it be too much trouble to let me have a cottage a little cottage but if it had proper rooms and i didn't have to carry water um a bit of a garden garden perhaps a garden gate if that's not too much trouble maybe a rose or two or some ivy? The fairy looked at her, but she said, very well, when you go to bed tonight, you must turn around three times, then shut your eyes, and then three times, and shut your eyes, and then three times, and shut your eyes, and in the morning, you will see what you will see. So the old woman went to bed, and in the morning, what did she see? But where the vinegar bottle had been was a cottage, with white walls and a tiled roof, the windows had leaded panes and those lovely curtains. The ones that are almost see-through but aren't quite. There was a front door with a brass knocker and red roses climbing the walls. 
there was even a wicker gate and a patch of garden small, but filled with flowers, pansies, lilies, pinks of all sorts. It can't be mine. It can't, whispered the old woman. But though the gate now came across the path, there were her own shells still down the edges. And there was Morris coming down to meet her. Morris did not know if he was on his head or his paws. When she opened the door into a sitting room, her rocking chair was there. On one side of the fire, Morris's cushion on the other, the rag rug between them, in the little dining room with the table and chair, the dresser, the bits of china in the kitchen, the black kettle was singing on the new stove. The dustbin in the corner and the tin bath had disappeared. It was no longer needed. Upstairs was a bathroom, which was magical in itself. Hot water, it's got hot water, whispered the woman on her hand when she turned on the tap. She'd never had a tap before. Next door was a bedroom, a proper bedroom for her bed. Her useful box for her candlestick was there. There were even the pegs attached to the wall and even a little spare bedroom in the attic. Lordy, 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 said the old lady when she came downstairs. She was shaking so much she had to sit down. Morris sat with his tail around his paws and made noises under his breath as if he was saying, Where is my vinegar bottle? The problem was that this time she was so flustered and also so worried about what there wasn't in the cottage that she sort of thought there might be when she moved in that she didn't thank the fairy queen. And when she sat there that evening and looked around and looked around, she was thinking of all the things that were missing. There should be a comfortable chair, a chair for a visitor, and, and Morris should have a basket. And she suddenly thought, this house isn't really good enough for me, even though it was pretty, and there were roses, and no giraffes, and it had hot water. But she didn't think it was what she deserved, because she wasn't very happy. Maybe if she got all the other things she wanted, she'd be happy. And as soon as she got her hot dinner on the table, which appeared like it had before, she and Morris ate it, and they ate their lovely dinner. She wasn't really as happy as she'd been before. And she looked around, she wondered if maybe you could ask the fairy for a different kind of house and maybe one with a more full wardrobe. She hadn't really noticed before, but it had become very noticeable living in this house. So the next morning she went down to the shore and she said, I want to live in a nice little house. Fairy queen, fairy queen, lady in green, please help me. I've, I've, she stammered when she saw the queen and 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 she said, the thing is, I mean, don't get me wrong, your highness, ma'am, I've thought about it, and it isn't that the cottage isn't beautiful, I mean, it is, it's very pretty, but it wasn't really what I expected, and I've had a chance to think about it, I don't really want to live in a little cottage by myself, I ought to live in a nice little house, in a row of houses, with lace curtains at the windows and a brass knock on the door and people calling mussels and cockles outside and inside the best furniture for my little house and lovely clothes, so I fit in. The fairy queen was rather surprised. She thought that the old woman, as she'd been before, would have been happy with her cottage and happy with her meal every day. But she wasn't. So the fairy queen said, very well, go to bed tonight, turn round three times, you shut your eyes, you turn around three times, you shut your eyes, you turn around three times, and in the morning, you shall see what you shall see. And she did. She went to bed in her lovely cottage, and turned around three times, 
then shut her eyes and turned around three times and shut her eyes and turned around three times and shut her eyes and in the morning when she woke up the cottage was no more she was in a nice little house in a row of little houses with lace curtains at the windows and a brass knocker on the door and people calling mussels and cockles outside all merry and cheerful and she was surprised and she was pleased but again she forgot to thank the fairy Morris was actually quite unimpressed with his new house he had his basket but didn't really like it, it was too far from the fire and when the old woman sat in the sitting room by the fire she missed the rocking of her chair I mean, this chair was more comfortable, but it didn't rock. And Morris wasn't purring because he wasn't happy. And so the house wasn't even as happy as the cottage had been, and nowhere near as happy as the vinegar bottle had been. Time went on. And the old woman, well, she was less happy every day than she'd been before. And she thought, well, it must be because of this house. It's not, it's just not good enough for me. That's why I'm not happy. I shouldn't live in a row of houses like this. I'm going to go and see the Fairy Queen. So she got to the seashore and she called the Fairy Queen. Fairy Queen, Queen in green, my Queen, please help me. And the Fairy Queen appeared, knocking the breath out of the old woman again. I wasn't expecting to see you, said the Queen. The woman said, well, you said that if I needed help, I could come. And, 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 and Highness, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm not happy. And because I'm not happy, it must be where I'm living. I shouldn't live in a row of houses like this with common people on each side of me. I should live in a great big mansion in the country with a big garden around it. But Maurice, it turns out he doesn't like the city and I'm going to need servants to look after everything and answer the bell. The fairy queen was very surprised and very annoyed, actually, but she said she'd help, and she said she'd help whenever a woman asked, so the fairy always keeps her word. So she said, very well, go to bed, turn around three times and shut your eyes, turn around three times and shut your eyes, turn around three times and shut your eyes, and in the morning you will see what you will see. The old woman went to bed, and she followed the fairy queen's instructions, and when she went to sleep, and then in the morning, she was in that great big mansion in the country, surrounded by a fine garden, and she had servants to answer the bell. And she was very pleased and very surprised. She didn't like the way she sounded in her big house. She had to learn to speak gently like a lady. And because she was so busy learning to speak like a lady, she didn't behave very well, forgot her manners, and didn't thank the fairy yet again. It turned out, you see, that living in a mansion wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Morris hated it, absolutely hated it. All the servants kept trying to keep him away from the old woman and he loved the old woman. And he didn't like the garden, there were already cats in it. He didn't want to play with them. The old woman, she missed Morris, even though he was in the same house, and she never really got to see him. And she kept thinking the servants were looking at her in a funny way sometimes, and she didn't belong there. can you not belong in a mansion? It must be the mansion that's wrong. If I'm not happy, it's where I'm living. I'm going to go back to the seashore. So she did. And she said, fairy queen, fairy queen, my queen in green, please help me. And the fairy came out and appeared very suddenly, scaring the life out of the old woman again. 
highness the problem is is it's not working out for me i mean i thought it would i thought i'd love a mansion who doesn't love a mansion but i'm not happy there and morris isn't happy there which means there must be something in the mansion the queen stayed silent i mean everyone loves the idea of a mansion so this must be something faulty with this mansion i think maybe what the problem is is i should be a duchess duchess the fairy queen was a little bit confused yes i want to be a duchess i want to go and visit the queen every day and i want footmen the fairy queen was very disappointed and very surprised but she said very well go to bed tonight and turn around three times and shut your eyes turn around three times and shut your eyes turn around three times and shut your eyes and in the morning you will see what you will see so she did what she was told and in the morning there she was a duchess going to see the queen every day with footmen running beside her she was very surprised and so very pleased and again she was busy and it turns out that duchesses don't always have manners either and she forgot to thank the fairy and time went on but it turns out that the woman wasn't really happy being a duchess either she was a lot more own a lot more than she thought that she'd be when she wasn't with the queen the queen of the land that is and not the fairy queen she was lonely she missed morris i mean morris was somewhere in the house she thought he might have his own room she hadn't seen him for long and she missed the sound of his purring and her rocking chair and all the entertainments that were provided for her just when they were missing something so she thought about it because she had a lot of time to think and she went back down to the shore this time in her grand carriage with her footman but she did make them stand back and called my queen my fairy queen my green queen in green please come to me i need your help the fairy queen appeared in her way and the duchess our old woman she was startled said i don't think i want to be a duchess anymore you see highness because maybe it's all that curtsying to the queen but it, it makes me not very happy and you think i would be happy being a duchess so i think what the problem is is that i'm not the queen if i was the queen because she seems happy then i'd be happy so all I'd have to do is, is sit on the golden throne and everyone would have to do what I say and people would have to spend time with me and they'd have to let Morris spend time with me. The fairy was very much disappointed and she was very angry but she said, very well, go to bed, turn around three times and shut your eyes, turn around three times and shut your eyes, turn around three times and shut your eyes and in the morning we will see what we will see. So the woman did. She followed the fairy queen's instructions and there she was in a palace. A queen in her own right, sitting on a golden throne with a golden crown on her head and courtiers all around her. And she was so amazed. But queens, it turns out, have even less manners than duchesses and she didn't remember to thank her fairy. And I bet you can imagine this. It turns out she wasn't very happy being the queen turns out possibly if you're not very happy you carry on not being happy wherever you are and she was so dissatisfied she missed morris morris missed her he couldn't remember her last time he'd seen the old woman although he did appreciate the fresh fish he got every day but it wasn't the same he missed that vinegar bottle the old woman was well quite a sensible woman 
even if she had wished to be queen. But it turns out, actually, when it comes down to it, no one really wants to be queen. Not when it's that reality. So she looked around her, and she was dissatisfied, and she couldn't work out why. I mean, who goes from being a woman in a vinegar bottle to the queen and isn't happy? So she realised it must be her situation. Clearly, she should be empress of the land. She'd make sure the fairy queen fixed it for her, and then she'd be fine, she could do what she wanted, she could find where Morris had gone and keep him with her all the time. Maybe that was part of the problem as well, but empresses could do what they wanted. And servants wouldn't stop her, so she went to the shore with her retinue and her guards and her carriages, and she got there. And the shore was not quite as much as she remembered it. It didn't feel the way it had. But she still said, Queen, my fairy queen, my queen in green, come to me, I need your help. And the fairy queen, well, she was very disappointed, very, very disappointed and very, very angry when the old woman asked her to become an empress. So she said, I promise to help. Go to bed. Turn around three times, shut your eyes, turn around three times, shut your eyes, turn around three times, shut your eyes. And in the morning, you shall see what you shall see. And so the woman went to bed, imagining what it would like to be an empress. But she never found out. Because in the morning, she was back in the vinegar bottle, under her old patchwork quilt, with Morris at the bottom of the bed. And what had returned was also that nagging hunger. And the old woman rushed down to the shore and she called out, My fairy queen, my queen in green, my queen, please come to me. I need your help. And the queen came. You used to curtsy to me, said the queen. You used to look after your cat more than you did yourself. You were kind. But now you're a greedy, ungrateful old woman. Go back to your vinegar bottle. And she went to turn away. I'm, I'm sorry, the old woman said. I'm so very sorry, your highness. I'm so very sorry. I want you to forgive me for troubling you. But I'm not sorry and ashamed. Not sorry because of the cottage and the house and the mansion and the power's all gone and all the things are gone. I'm just so sorry to have been so rude and so ungrateful. I'm a greedy, grabbing old woman and I didn't know it. I don't know what's got into me and that's the truth. I'm sorry and please forgive me. And thank you, my fairy queen, my queen, my queen in green. She curtsied and turned to go. But the queen called after her, old woman, old woman, I'm glad. I thought this was going to be a sad story and it isn't at all. You're still the generous, kind woman, I thought. Now, I can make the palace come back if you want me to. Well, the old woman shook her head, thank you, kindly. But no, it turns out, Morris and me, we're best in our vinegar bottle. We're used to it, you see. I miss my rocker. Morris missed his cushion. And I like to be busy and fend for myself. Thank you kindly. But we'll stay as we are. Except, except, so the old woman, well, if it would be too greedy. Do you think now and again, your highness, your highness, you could send us a good hot dinner? Not too often, of course, and please don't clear it away. One of those dinners would keep me and Morris for a week. I'll wash it up. The old woman still lives in the vinegar bottle, but the thatch is thicker than it was before, and there are no gaps in the walls or the windows, and they don't shriek round with draughts. So it's always toasty and cosy, and somehow that feather bed, threadbare though it is, feels like 17 feather beds, and her chair has a cushion again. But not Morris's cushion, he still has his own cushion. That cat is not giving back once he's made it his own. And as they live in the vinegar bottle, and as she sits rocking, she thinks of the fairy queen in green, 
He wore a golden circle on her head, and she knows that the Queen was not a dream. Because every Sunday, as the village church clock strikes noon, a hot dinner appears on her table, with all of the good things. The beef, the potatoes, her taters roasted for her, Yorkshire pudding, greens and gravy, a little trifle, gooseberry crumble, cheese, and Morris gets his meat and his milk. Morris is now three times as fat as that old woman. And that, gentle listener, is the end of my tale. And I hope it pleased you, for it had no other purpose. So, what did you think of the tale? I really enjoyed adapting this story. I loved it growing up, but I always felt it was unfair that the woman lost everything. I know she was greedy, but she'd had so little in her life. You can completely see how she just kept reaching for bigger and better things. I hadn't read Rima Gordon's version of the story until fairly recently, and I love it. So I've borrowed some of the elements of that and brought them to you. And the others are from more traditional sources, including Catherine Briggs. You can probably tell that there are elements that show the pearl person, woman is a person, and it's not just a morality tale. She said that she was, Rima said that she was told this tale as a young girl, and that her mother was also told it by her nurse in the same way. So, guessing, based on when she was born, the tale was being told from the mid to late 19th century at least. Rima says she just added the cat. I may have added my own. One of the reasons I love this tale is the more I consider it, I think I would only ever dream aloud about my perfect house once, and then be satisfied forever if it turned up. It's possible that the reason I'd be happy with just that is mostly because mine is a slight variation on the house in the film Practical Magic. I've just added a library, a secret staircase, better wallpaper, and I've relocated it to the UK. You know, just in case you're wondering. I digress. Back to our story. This tale is Tale Type ATU 555, or The Fisherman and His Wife. And the eponymous tale appears in the Grimm Collections from 1812, but there are variants from all over the world, including France, Mexico, Japan, Cameroon, and Russia. The tales are different to our British one, in three very specific areas. Firstly, none of the others live in a vinegar bottle, usually in a broken down hut. Secondly, their wishes are commanded by a fish that is saved by the male character, not on a whim, by a fairy. Or fairy queen, indeed. Thirdly, the desire is to constantly improve social status and riches is usually driven by the greed of the wife of the protagonist, who is punished by the removal of the riches, as he thought he should have told her no when she kept requesting more and more from the little fish. Often, fairy tales and folk tales have a clear moral element, but this one doesn't need anyone to draw a picture to assist with its meaning. It may as well you say you should be happy with what you have, and if you can't, then you'll be punished for your greed. It's clearly one that's meant to keep the poor in their place and discourage them to respire into the lives of their betters. Well, you know, they think they're betters. With a side order of, men should be in control of their households, or look what can happen. My adaption of the story is perhaps a little less on the side of capitalism, and more on the side of money doesn't always bring you happiness. And as we discussed before, there's no man in the British folktale, and no fish in ours either. As I said, the other element in our tale, which is particular to the British variant, is the fairy rather than a fish. There doesn't seem to be any reason for this rather dramatic change, unless it's just that British audiences preferred their supernatural in a form they could easily understand. 
It's a fairly good English tradition of storytelling which features mischievous fairies answering wishes just to watch the chaos ensue. So maybe there's an element of that here. There are also tales to fair fairies granting wishes to people who are wasteful of them, which leave the people in exactly the same position as when they started, but sometimes with an extra sausage. So maybe I was channeling a bit of that myself. The fairy element combined with a lack of gratitude is also interesting. Lots of recent fiction, which contains fairies or the fae, has them resenting gratitude for gifts or help. As it implies a debt is now owed, fairies hate to be in the debt of anyone, but particularly humans. I struggled to find evidence from storytellers or folklorists noting this phenomenon in earlier tales and stories, but I may just have been looking in the wrong books or listening to the wrong tellers. The only thing I could find was from Catherine Briggs's Fairy Encyclopedia, where she notes it under good manners. Certain fairies do not like to be thanked. Yallery Brown comes to mind. Anyway, our fairy in this tale seems to be fairly miffed that the old woman stops being grateful and saying thank you. She seems to suggest it's not just the increasing demands, but the lack of gratitude that makes everything worse. Anyway, let's move on from our fairy folklore and on to our ingredient today. I won't make you guess. I mean, it's obvious, it's vinegar from the house that wasn't really a vinegar bottle. It has a long history and some interesting folk of its own, so we'll move along through. Vinegar has been around since the 5th century BCE, where Hippocrates recommended its medicinal powers. It's probably even older than that, but because Hippocrates makes the first known reference, as Alan Davison says in the Oxford Companion to Feed, Vinegar has been in use for thousands of years, and its origins are untraceable. One of the earliest references is from the 5th century BCE, where Hippocrates recommended its medicinal powers. However, then, as now, its main use has been as a flavouring and preserving agent. There was no need to invent vinegar as it makes itself without difficulties. An essential ingredient for food preservation and flavour, it was also used as a drink. All those children who were laughed at for drinking vinegar, you were actually repeating the behaviour of Roman legionaries who drank it, added to water, as it was stronger flavours than wine, you didn't have to carry so much. Very refreshing, apparently. It was used in medicine, as the acid contact would help leach oils from herbs and dissolve seeds. It's the base for the most famous plague cure, Four Thieves Vinegar. The story, one of several, is that during the Black Death, the original 14th century one, a group of thieves from Marseille, who previously had worked as spice merchants, were robbing the dead or the sick. When they were caught, they offered to exchange their secret recipe, which had allowed them to commit the robberies without catching the disease, in exchange for leniency. This vinegar always contained rosemary as well as other herbs. In some versions, the thieves were still hanged instead of being burned to death. In others, they were actually allowed to go free. We don't really know if this happened at all, but even if it didn't, it's still an interesting story. It survives possibly because herbs and vinegar go together well, like strawberries and cream, even if that combination is a little bit stomach-curdling. I have had strawberries with vinegar though. Drops of expensive balsamic vinegar really bring out the flavours of fruit, and they were scattered with basil, which brought its own glorious aromatics to the party. Enough remembrances of excellent puddings past, we should stick to vinegar. Or actually, balsamic vinegar, which isn't strictly speaking vinegar, as it's made from grape must and not from wine. It's the good stuff that isn't strictly speaking vinegar though. If you paid less than a fiver from Aldi for yours, like most of us, there is enough actual wine vinegar added to make it definitely classified. Did you know the reason we all get to enjoy balsamic vinegar now is actually the French Revolution and a little bit of Napoleon Bonaparte? Essentially, balsamic vinegar was only made for and by noble families in Modena and Reggio Emilia in Italy. It was an asset, but it was never sold, only given as gifts between said noble families and used by themselves. 
was a wonderful condiment, however. When the revolution arrived, with the bayonets of Napoleon's troops, when he invaded Modena in 1796, the troops arrived, the Duke d'Estay, Hercule III, fled to Venice, leaving some very expensive barrels of balsamic behind him. The French troops had as much use for, with much respect for palaces as previous experience would suggest. So it was stripped of all its assets and sold. The casks of vinegar from the ducal cellar were no exception, and they were a huge hit with everyone who tried it. Once the secret of this wonderful product was out of the bottle like a genie, it couldn't easily be pushed back in. So the market for balsamic vinegar, named for its restorative or balsam-like qualities, had begun. I realised I haven't really explained what the definition of vinegar actually is. It's a mixture of water and acetic acid. Acetic acid is usually produced by double fermentation, first of the sugars in a liquid, by yeast to ethanol, and then by acetic acid bacteria from ethanol to acetic acid. Humans usually create the first fermentation, and then nature does the rest. The flavour and look of the vinegar comes from its original liquid, so white wine vinegar from wine, I suppose red as well, malt vinegar from ale, and cider vinegar from cider, etc. Malt vinegar is popular in the UK as a table vinegar, wine vinegar throughout the rest of Europe, and, strangely, cider vinegar in the US. The US has an interesting relationship with vinegar, and it's possible that they were looking to recreate verjuice originally, which was an acidic ingredient made from crab apples in the British Isles from at least the Middle Ages. Vinegar companies were also the only ones that were allowed to buy alcohol commercially during Prohibition, and you can imagine that inspired certain elements of the criminal fraternity to suddenly become interested in vinegar manufacture. However, the authorities eventually realised that the popularity of vinegar manufacture was for nefarious reasons, and introduced the additive of 5% ethyl acetate, which was fine for brewing vinegar, but sadly not so much for booze. Vinegar in France, however, was definitely wine vinegar, made in the traditional home of French wine vinegar, Orléans. Wine vinegar started making Orléans while France was still Gaul, and the Roman legionaries were known for drinking vinegar with water. It was an important centre for wine transport on the Loire, soon became the vinegar capital due to spoiled wine being dropped there when it didn't pass inspection for onward transport to Paris, and half of French wine vinegar is still produced there. The famous Orléans method was named after this locality and is the most famous slow method of vinegar production. Barrels are filled with wine and vinegar and fermentation is carried out slowly by the acetic acid bacteria, which will generally metabolise all the alcohol in a 9% ethanol wine in one to three months. The Vinegar Merchants Corporation was created in the city in 1394, and in 1580, Henry IV ordered that the profession of vinegar and mustard merchant should be a recognised occupation in the town and its suburbs. Enough of history. What about the folklore, you may ask? Firstly, as I've mentioned, vinegar had an important part to play, both in extracting compounds from tougher herbs and for hiding the flavour of some very foul-tasting mixtures. It even appears in the form of vinegar and brown paper as a cure for headaches, in the nursery rhyme Jack and Jill. However, there are some more metaphysical superstitions. It was said in Germany that when a person died, all the wine in their cellar had to be shaken to stop it turning to vinegar, caused by any ill-wishing from the death. Another German superstition says all vinegar must be taken out of the house if someone was likely to die, because the vinegar could trap the soul. Vinegar was also thought to be able to drown evil spirits. There are also tales of witches in Malaysian folklore who become extremely disturbing creatures after meditating in a bath of vinegar. The smell of vinegar is what gives her away when she returns to her normal body. It was also believed that if you were angry when preparing or working with vinegar, or became enraged, then the vinegar would be stronger. Also, if you need to shake the vinegar barrel, then you should do it at full moon. 
I have no idea why. I suppose it isn't actually bad advice. If you've got to shake it at some point, then presumably a full moon would do as well as any other time. A sycamore trick added to vinegar would apparently also make it strong. Again, no idea why, although I do know that sycamore was said to keep fairies away from your dairy. So why not make vinegar stronger? Also, apparently pregnant women should not tab the vinegar or the barrel will go cloudy. My favourite, I think, is write the name of three shoes on a piece of paper and then put it into the vinegar barrel and you will have good, strong vinegar. I'm assuming shrews here means unmanageable women, as most people probably wouldn't know the name of three woodland animals. Especially when another superstition suggests that the vinegar will be good and strong if three women blow into the barrel. However, in some places it is believed if vinegar is disturbed while apple trees are in bloom, it will turn back into cider. Assuming it's cider vinegar, that is. I think that there are many more, but I'm pretty sure that's enough to be going on with. I'm just going to have a quick look at vinegar and food. If you haven't read the amazing book Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by Samin Nosrat, I recommend it heartily. She says, recipes lead us to believe that cooking is a linear process, while most good food results from a circular one, like a spider web. Touch one part and the entire thing will quiver. I learned so much from Salmon, both from the book and the accompanying television series about how to use acid to brighten and balance flavours that are part of that spider web. Vinegar is the easiest acid for cooking as it's a store cupboard ingredient. Much as we'd like to have them always around, the perfect lemon may just have been used yesterday in that lovely gin and tonic. You can also create your own flavoured vinegars to dress food then use in marinades. I use it lots when dressing roasted veg that are just that little bit too sweet from over caramelising in the oven or for making kale salad. Yes, I did say kale salad. I have this amazing recipe for one. It's not my own and I would have been with you on the idea of kale salad until I found this one. I will put the details in the show notes in case anyone's interested. Anyway, the possibilities for vinegar are endless. But the recipe I'm going to bring to you I think is perfect with so many things. It looks gorgeous and it is extremely simple. I can't remember where I learned the technique almost certainly from a book, but it might not have been. I bring to you perfect instant pink pickled onions. Well, nearly instant. Under an hour is pretty good for pickles. Firstly, take a biggish red onion and slice it finely. Separate it all out and add it to a colander or sieve that can handle boiling water. Then boil a kettle. Whilst it's pouring, dig out Sorry, once it's boiling, dig out a jar with a non-reactive lid that looks like it could hold all the onion. When you have boiling water, hold the sieve or colander over the sink and pour the water over the onions. Keep going until all the water is gone. Allow the water to drain off, then squish the onions into the jar carefully as they'll be very hot. Then top up with white vinegar, white wine vinegar or cider vinegar, just anything that's at least not much colour in it. And pop on the lid and allow it to cool. They will be a gorgeous bright pink and just crunchy enough without any rawness. Amazing with pretty much anything that could take a hit of vinegar, but particularly great with falafel and halloumi wraps or lamb kebabs. So we've come to the end of the latest episode. I really hope you've enjoyed it as much as I did. I hope you love spending time with a woman in a vinegar bottle or just enjoyed my tales all about vinegar. Before I go, I also just wanted to let you know I have a newsletter now that comes out every week, except for the week the podcast comes out, because I just can't manage both. 
It's maybe a little bit more frivolous. I don't do any storytelling, but I do look at things that are to do with stories. And there's also a remedy and a vintage recipe for you as well. And usually some interesting things thrown in. Bit of folklore, so you might like that. I'll put the link in the show notes in case you'd like to sign up, but it's also on the website. Speaking of that, if you want to review the podcast, well, as long as you want to review the podcast with a good review at least, please would you pop along to Apple Podcasts if that's where you get this. And give it, I don't know, maybe five stars? I know it's very cheeky, but it does help other people find the podcast. It's been truly wonderful to spend this time with you, and hopefully all the information you might need from today will be in the show notes. Or you can contact me on Twitter, where I'm at fairytalesfood, or on Instagram, where I'm also at fairytalesfood, or you can come and pop along to my website, hestiaskitchen.co.uk, or my new substack, the address of which I can't remember to read out. But as I said, I'll put it in the show notes, and you can sign up for that on my website as well. I'm pushing it a little bit too much on Twitter at the moment, so if you follow me there, you've probably already seen the link. Anyway, as I said, it's been really lovely spending this time with you, and I hope you'll be back for the next episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales.